And now we'll turn our attention to the reading of the word. Coming from 1 Kings 21, we're going to read 17, starting at 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elisha the Tisbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, most people, when they begin to read the Bible, they do so with some uh, presuppositions about who God is and what God is like. And they focus on or 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 focus on a trait that they believe God is. For instance, if they believe that God is merciful and loving, when they come to the scriptures with that presupposition, that's all they are going to see and find is a loving and a merciful and a gracious God. Or if you think, if your presupposition is that God is a God of of wrath and, and full of judgment, when you come to the scriptures, you're going to see, all you're going to see is that God is a God of judgment and wrath. All you're going to see is his uh, judgment. Thankfully, we don't have to leave it up to our presuppositions. God has clearly revealed himself in his word regarding who he is and what he is like. One of, the, one of the clearest pictures that we see of that is found in Exodus uh, 34. When Moses asks God uh, to see him, uh, God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by Moses and declares this 
in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Here, here is, here was God declaring to Moses who he was and proclaiming in no uncertain terms that this is how he operates. This would be his character that would be on display throughout redemptive history. Sadly, sadly, however, we don't take God at his word. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. People, they believe uh, uh, and make up a lot of things about God. And unfortunately, what they create is a God made in the image of human beings. We assume he likes what we like and desires what we desire. We create a God who deals with people and circumstances the way we would deal with people and circumstances. I fear that we fail to comprehend who God has revealed himself to be. We just, we just can't really wrap our minds around it. We focus on one aspect of his character to the neglect of another aspect of it. Take, for instance, Exodus 34. I don't know if we fully grasp how merciful and gracious the Lord is. It says that he is slow to anger. Think about that for a moment. God is slow, slow to anger. I mean, we fly off the handle over every little thing. And so we just have no context for it and, and assume that it just doesn't exist. How is it possible for someone to be slow to anger? But God is. He is patient and, and eager to show steadfast love and mercy and, and forgiveness. And I, and I know we read that verse and we say, yes, that is God. That is him. But we really don't fully believe it or fully grasp it. No matter how much we talk about it, no matter how much we see it in the scriptures, we still assume that God is waiting up in heaven for us to do something wrong so that he can punish us. We assume that's his disposition towards us, that he is quick-tempered and ready to pounce on us for every little sin. Every time we don't cross a T or dot an I, we assume God is ready to strike us down. But no, brothers and sisters, what he reveals to us in Exodus 34 is that he is a God gracious and merciful, that he is a slow to anger. He is, he is. He is slow to anger and merciful. 
But he also tells Moses that he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children's children. <laughs> he is a God of wrath. There is no doubt about it. He is a God of wrath and a God of justice. He will punish the guilty and he will make every wrong right. So don't, don't be tempted to think that, that people get away with sin. That sin isn't ever going to be dealt with. That, that no wrong is going to be made right. God is a righteous and a just uh, God. Now, when you hear me say that, please don't let that diminish all that I have just said about God's mercy and his steadfast love. Don't let it diminish it. Because that's what we tend to do. We cancel out God's mercy with his judgment. But the Bible doesn't do that. The God of the Bible is both full of mercy and full of justice. Both of these are absolutely true. Full of mercy and full of justice. And I believe that is what we see illustrated in 1 Kings 21. With that intro, let's jump into the text. 1 Kings 21 is sort of a reunion between Elijah and Ahab. Their lives, though different, are intertwined, much like other prophet king relationships we read about throughout the Old Testament. However, the account, the account that we read about in, uh, in 1 Kings 21 tells the circumstance around a horrendous act of injustice that is carried out against a man named Naboth. Naboth. That is the first half of what chapter 21 is concerned with. For sake of time, there's 29 verses in, in, uh, in 1 Kings 21, and, and so we didn't cover, we didn't read all of it. So we'll, we'll give a little bit of context in terms of where we are in the account. You see, Naboth was from Jezreel. He was a Jezreite. He was neighbors with the king, with Ahab. He lived right next to Naboth, to Nab excuse me, to Ahab's palace, and he had property that the king desired. And so the king, he made a proposal to Naboth. He wanted uh, Naboth's field to plant a vegetable garden. And so he goes to Naboth, makes a proposal to Naboth, and says, hey, Naboth, I will pay you for your property, or you can... Uh, uh, you can take another one of my properties in exchange for your property. Now, at, at first glance, this sounds like a good deal. In, in fact, it doesn't seem like it is a bad proposal at all. 
In fact, uh, this type of proposals happen quite frequently in our day. This is a common practice for our current real estate market, is it not, right? Uh, I, I, I'm sure you, like me, get texts and calls all day long of people asking to purchase your property. I will sell it to you. I mean, you can sell it to me for a fair price. I will buy it from you for a fair price. These proposals go on all the time. I wish they would stop texting me and emailing me. Simple ways, just tell them, uh, yeah, I'll sell it to you for a million dollars. They'll stop immediately. <laughs> These proposals happen all the time. It, it happened here at the church. Uh, we saw the property next door. It wasn't being uh, used regularly, and, and so we approached the owner about an opportunity if he'd be willing to, to sell us the property next door. And sure enough, he sold us uh, the property. At, at first glance, this proposal from Ahab to Naboth was not unusual, nor was it nefarious, but a deeper dive and a look at what happened next highlights for us the level of evil and sin that was running rampant among God's people. Uh, Naboth hears this proposal from Ahab and he responds like this in verse 20, excuse me, in verse 3 of chapter 21. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. This is not a, a throwaway response by Naboth. In his answer to Ahab's proposal, he is actually demonstrating his allegiance and his confidence to Yahweh. Get this, Naboth had a chance to yield a pretty good ROI on this deal. <laughs> he, he, he did. He could have come out. Ahab told him to name the price. He also could have upgraded his, his property if he chose the, the, the trade option. Naboth could have set up his, him and his family for a lifetime, but instead he decided to forego all that gain to be obedient to the Lord. Now, before you start feeling guilty because you have accepted proposals like this in the past, and you're wondering if you have done something wrong. What, 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 what do we mean here? Just because he didn't, he, he didn't take this deal and I took a deal, does that mean that, that I, I was disobedient to the Lord? I wasn't following after the Lord? No, it's important to understand the laws that governed Israel at the time. You see, God had instructed Israel to keep the land that was allotted to them and to their family. It was supposed to remain in the family line through an inheritance. They were not to sell the land or trade it. First, ultimately, the reason they weren't supposed to do that was because the land belonged to the Lord. And we learned that in Leviticus 25 and 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. 
for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So Naboth was not supposed to sell the land because it belonged to the Lord. It was supposed to remain as an inheritance in his family. Also, it was so that the, the disruption of the inheritance did not get uh, uh, out of whack. We learn that in Numbers 36 and 37. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Naboth was seeking to be obedient uh, to the Lord. This, this was the law, and Naboth knew it, and he was seeking to follow after the law of God. No, Naboth was just trying to live right in this society. He was trying to do the right thing. No, 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 Ahab, I'm not going to sell you the land. God forbid that I should sell it to you. And this is where the sinister, conniving intentions of Ahab come into play. Remember, Ahab was the king of Israel. He was the king of Israel. He, of course, knew the law. He knew what God had said, and here he was enticing Naboth to sin against the Lord. Worse than that, this was about a land grab. Ahab had all he needed. He was the king. Ahab wasn't lacking for anything. He just saw a land that he wanted and felt like he should have it. He was seeking to satisfy his own desires and wants at the expense of Naboth. Oh, brothers and sisters, here is the kingdom of God at one of its lowest points in history. The king who was supposed to fight for the people of God, the one who was supposed to lead them, lead them into good and not evil, is, is now seeking to entice Naboth to sin, to be, to be disobedient to the Lord. Now, while, while our focus is on Ahab, he was just a microcosm of the entire nation. The saying, as the king goes, so goes the nation, is, was certainly true in this situation. And we will soon see the extent of the wickedness, the, the, that, 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 this wickedness that permeated, permeated the kingdom. Ahab after hearing uh, Naboth's decline of his offer, is utterly distraught. And so he finds himself moping around the, the, the palace. He's, he's crying. He's vexed at, 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 at uh, Naboth. He, he won't eat. He, you know, he's, he's in his bed. He won't get out of bed. And along comes his wife. Everybody knows his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel shows up, and, he, and he see, she sees uh, Ahab not eating, not getting out of bed. And she says, what's wrong with you? And he explains to her that, 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 that Naboth 
turned down his proposal. And she now is vexed. What kind of king are you? What kind of king are you? That you would allow this lowly man in your You're the king. You can just take his land. Never mind. I'll handle it. That's what she says. That's what she says to Ahab. I'll do it. Since you're not acting like a king, I'll take charge. So she takes matters into her own hands. She writes a letter posing as a king to the leaders and the elders of the city and tells them that they are going to have to have some, they need to have some worthless men charge Naboth with a crime that would result in his death. They were to make up a lie. They were to call fast and gather the town together and have these two witnesses, these two worthless men, call out uh, Naboth and say that he has cursed God and king. Make up the lie that he has blasphemed against God and against the king, both which offenses are punishable by death. Her plan was to have Naboth killed so that Ahab could then go and take his land. Jezebel's plan is carried out to ruthless perfection. 1 Kings 21, 13 through 14. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent Jezebel, sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. I mean, the coldness, the, the evil that is this story is almost breathtaking. I mean, there is so much lawlessness and wickedness in this act. Covetousness, greed, lying, false witness, corruption, abuse of power, murder. And, and notice, notice who was carrying out these offenses. The king, the leaders, the elders. These are the people carrying out this evil. Religious folk carrying out this evil. Brothers and sisters, this was the state of the kingdom during the reign of Ahab. Remember, Ahab was not a pagan king. Ahab was the king of Israel. And he married this Baal worshiper and let sin and wickedness run rampant in the kingdom. Ahab's sinful, sinful influence permeated the kingdom from the top down. Oh, it, this, this evil could have been averted if somebody had just spoken up. If those elders or those leaders had said, no, no, we're not going to follow after. He's, Naboth has done nothing wrong. 
but they just go along. They go along to get along, not to disrupt this evil going on in the kingdom. You know, injustice is bad enough, but when injustice comes from those who should be carrying out justice, it is suffocating and hope-denying. Injustice at the hands of police, judges, teachers, government officials leads one to think that there is no possibility for justice. Who do you turn to? Who do you go to? Who, who was Naboth's family supposed to go to to correct this injustice that happened to them? Listen, Naboth was seeking to live his life following after the Lord, seeking to be obedient. And what did it get him but death? Here he is trying to be faithful in a faithless generation, and he is then, what does it do? What does it get him? It gets him death. He gets put to death. Who? Who was his family supposed to turn to? The king? The elders? The leaders? Oh, who do you turn to for justice when those who are supposed to be keeping justice are the ones who are unjust. It is suffocating and demoralizing. And so when you, and when you, and so when you hear about stories like Naboth, when, I, I, when you're hearing the evil that went on, and all the lawlessness and, and the injustice, when you hear about injustice that takes place in our day, People in powerful positions using that power and influence uh, for evil. When you see uh, those people appearing to get away with evil and, and others suffering under their oppression, you are tempted to wonder if God cares. You start questioning. Is he ever going to do something about this? Is he going to act? God, I know you're a God of mercy, you say, and you're a God who is gracious and loving, but, but this is injustice? Are you going to fix it? Are you going to do something about this? It's the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It was the cry of Martha to what she thought was injustice. I'm here, I'm here, Lord, cleaning these dishes, and, and Mary's just sitting there. And in Luke 10 and 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Do something, Lord. You, you know this isn't right. Oh, the temptation in the midst of injustice is to think, like Martha, that God doesn't care. 
but you do understand that type of thinking would do an injustice to God. He is the God of the universe who, who sees all and knows all, and of course he cares. He does care. He is a God who despises injustice. Proverbs 17, 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. The one who calls evil good and good evil is an abomination to the Lord. The Lord hates injustice. Oh, so we need not fret, brothers and sisters. We do not give up. The Lord hates injustice and he sees and he acts. You and I, you and I can endure any suffering, any injustice because God sees and he acts. He hears the tears and the cries of his people. He, he saw what happened to Naboth. He, he saw and Yahweh was going to act on his behalf. Ahab and Je Jezebel might have thought they got away with this injustice, but God was about to prove otherwise. And he, he sends the truth teller to him. He sends Ahab's enemy, he calls him, <laughs> Elijah, to him. He sent his prophet to speak truth, truth in the midst of injustice. And he was going to let Jezebel and Ahab know that God is a God who sees and that he is a God who acts. Look at verse 19. And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. God was going to bring upon Ahab the same fury that Ahab and Jezebel brought on Naboth. But not only that, he was going to bring it upon his family as well. He was wiping everybody out. 1 Kings 21, 21 through 22, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashar, the, the son of Ahijah, for the anger of the Lord to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. God, through Elijah, pronounces judgment upon Ahab and upon Jezebel and upon his household, and he promises that they are not, they are not going to get away with this sin, this, this evil that they have carried out against Naboth. Sisters, this was a real promise that judgment and justice was coming. It was real. God was going to get justice for Naboth. Making what was wrong right. Elijah did not come up with this punishment on his own. According to verse 17, this was according to the word of the Lord. Justice was coming for Naboth. God's pronouncements of judgment for evil deeds are always real. Listen, 
even today, is a pronouncement of judgment against sin in this world. Not, not just injustice, but all sin. There is a judgment against all sin. Yes, yes, that little white lie you told this morning, your greed, your lust, your, your worry, your covetousness. Notice I haven't mentioned the quote-unquote big sins like murder and, and adultery and, and stealing. Why? Because all sin stands under the judgment of God, even those quote-unquote respectable sins that we think are no big deal. If you look at the act of Ahab and Jezebel, the injustice they carried out against Naboth. And you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. Or at least I don't deserve the judgment they received. Then you have not contemplated enough the evil that is in each one of our hearts. See, evil Everyone born into this world stands under the judgment of God. Punishment. Punishment. You know what the punishment is? Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. I don't care who you are, how good you think you are, whether or not you did it in secret and hiding and you, you were in some dark alley, whatever it is, no one gets away with sin. No one gets away with sin. Remember, brothers and sisters, whatever injustice you or anyone are experiencing in this world, it will be made right. God cares. He does. And perhaps you've heard You've heard the popular saying, justice delayed is justice denied. Well, that is not true with God. <laughs> justice may be delayed, but justice is never denied. Listen, listen, justice may be delayed. And actually, we see that in our text. Justice is delayed. You ask yourself, why is that the case? Why is justice delayed? Be because, as someone wrote, you do understand that God is more inclined to mercy than to wrath. You, you, you do understand that. And that is what we see next happen with Ahab. Listen, I am telling you, brothers and sisters, that we just don't fully grasp how merciful God is. We just, we read it over and over and again in the scriptures and we just don't believe it. We can't fully grasp it. Upon hearing uh, this judgment that the Lord was going to carry out on him, notice what Ahab does. Ahab repents. He repents. Oh, that's what the, that's what the pronouncement of judgment is supposed to do. It's supposed to produce, supposed to pr produce, produce repentance. That is what it produced in Nineveh. When Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he pronounced the judgment of the Lord was coming, what did the people do? They did what Ahab did. They repented. 
1 Kings 21, 27. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. This is, this is repentance uh, a behavior. He is repenting because he knows that judgment is, is coming. And at this, we see that the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. 1 Kings 21, 28, and 29. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite and said, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? The Lord is, is excited about this. You, you, you hear it? Hey, hey Elijah, look, look, at what, uh, look at what Ahab has done. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. The Lord, in the case of Ahab delays the justice. He delayed the justice. He delayed the justice? Wait a second, Lord. Naboth is dead. And, and, and Ahab and, and, and Jezebel are just going about the kingdom, just going about their business? They conspired to have him killed so that they could get his land. They deserve to be punished right now. Why do they get a second chance? Actually, I mean, in the case of Ahab, he's had multiple chances to turn from, to turn from his sin and trust the Lord. We've seen it over and over again on Mount Carmel. I mean, he could have turned from, from his sins and trusted the Lord, but no. He was an evil and wicked king and up to this act of repentance had shown no sign of changing. I mean, and the, the commentary that we read in, in verses 25 and 26 show just how bad he was. Listen, look at how bad Ahab was. There was no, none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. Ahab was wicked, and the Lord is delaying justice. If you are mad about how the Lord is dealing with Ahab, or this type of mercy makes you uncomfortable, then you have not grasped how merciful the Lord has been to you. Think about how many chances the Lord has given you. Oh, brother and sister, the Lord has given me multiple chances. Multiple. Think about the wickedness that used to reign in your heart. Here's the deal. No one, no one likes the idea of mercy until they need it themselves. 
everyone cries out for judgment and no mercy until they're the ones that stand in the, in the need of mercy who stand under judgment. This is what I'm saying. We just can't fully grasp our mind. The Lord is excited. He's inclined to show Ahab mercy at his repentance. We just can't wrap our minds around how merciful God is. It, it is shocking, and it rubs us the wrong way. But isn't that how mercy works? It wouldn't be mercy if people deserve to be shown mercy. So, so what do we take from this? You are never too far gone. You are never too far gone. Remember that. Oh, the, the light is always on at home. You, you're never too far gone. If you are here and yet to turn from your sin, perhaps you were just raging last night. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is, the Lord is granting you another chance this morning to repent. So repent, turn to him, Though, though your sins are many, God's mercy is more. It's more, it's more, it's more. And you know what, Christian? Those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, you and I need to remember that people are never too far gone. People are never too far gone. The judgment is delayed so that people would repent. God is leaving room for them to turn to him. So, so you know what? Don't write people off because God hasn't written them off. He's always working. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Justice for Ahab according to the mercy of God, was delayed. But contrary to what William Gladstone said, justice was not denied. It was not denied. It was not denied. You see, brothers and sisters, God can be fully merciful and fully just because all sin gets punished. It does. It gets dealt with. No one ever gets away with anything. When God shows you mercy, listen, he doesn't take your sin and sweep it under the rug. No, that sin gets paid for. It does. Punishment will be either carried out by you in this life or for eternity, or Christ bore your punishment on the cross. All sin gets dealt with and paid for. It does. Brothers and sisters, can I give you some advice? Choose the second option and trust the finished work of Christ on the cross. Oh, choose Christ this day. 
because we have an example of someone who didn't. Sadly, Ahab, Ahab's repentance was not a true repentance. It was not a lasting repentance. Oh, his, his sin was delayed, but it wasn't canceled. His punishment was not, uh, de- his punishment was delayed, but it was not canceled. True repentance and justice was carried out on him according to the judgment of God. When Ahab repented, he didn't turn in faith to Christ. And therefore, justice came to him. 1 Kings 22, we read, verse 37 through 38. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria, and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Sound familiar? That's what what Elijah told Ahab was going to happen. Uh, The justice was delayed, but it was not denied. Justice also was poured out on Jezebel. We read of the same fate happening to her in 2 Kings and chapter 9. It all happened according to the word of the Lord. Justice came to the house of Ahab. Oh, brothers and sisters, God, you do understand, is a God full of mercy. Hear that. Receive that. He is full of mercy, but he is also full of justice. Both of these are fully true because the cross is fully true. (laughs) Both his mercy and justice are demonstrated there, there on the cross. He died an unjust death, like like Naboth. Naboth died an unjust death so that the justice and wrath of God could be satisfied. That's why Christ died, so that the, the, the righteous wrath of God against sin could be satisfied. But it is also on the cross where there where mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary, at Calvary. In the cross, there is both mercy and justice. And God, oh God, is a God of mercy and justice. My prayer is that you would know his mercy today and trust in him. Let's pray.